passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Go ahead and take your notes out. Uh, while you're taking your notes out, I want to begin with a question. What does it take to be a real hero? What do you think? I'll tell you what a real hero looks like. I read his story recently. His name is Sergeant First Class Alwyn Cash. Now let me tell you his story. He served in the military uh, for the United States in the Iraq War. One day he was driving, uh, he was in the, his Bradley fighting vehicle, driving with a number of soldiers, and a roadside bomb went off. The bomb went off in such a way that it exploded the, the fuel tank on the Bradley. Um, Alan Cash was actually able to get out of the vehicle. He was sustained only minor injuries, though he was doused in fuel on his uniform. But as he turned around and looked at the Bradley that had been hit by the bomb in the fuel tank, it was on fire. And inside of that Bradley were his soldiers. Alan went back to the Bradley, and the first person he pulled out was the driver who was unconscious pulled him out and, and brought him to safety. And then he went back. And he had a struggle with the hatch on the Bradley to get, to get it open. But while he was struggling with the hatch, the burning vehicle lit his clothes on fire. And by the time he was able to get into the vehicle, all of his clothes were burned off of his body except for his helmet and his bulletproof vest. And he was able to get in and he took another soldier out of that Bradley fighting vehicle. Brought him to safety, and then he went back again. This is the first time he says he noticed um, the fire that was on his body. So at this point, it wasn't his clothes that were on fire, because they had been burned off. It was his skin that was on fire. He managed to go in and get another of the unconscious soldiers out and bring them back to safety. And then he went back again and brought another soldier back to safety. All in all, he brought out six unconscious soldiers, saving them from being burned alive, plus a translator. Sergeant Cash was the last um, piece of military that was, or the last soldier that was evacuated from the area. The problem was that when he was evacuated, he had second and third degree burns over 75% of his body. And a few weeks later, he, he died from those injuries. Didn't have to sustain any of those injuries, but he sustained every single one of them trying to save his men from being burned alive. He was given the Medal of Honor, which is the highest better medal given by the military uh, for valor on the, in the field of duty. And he is admired for being what is truly an American hero. What does it take to be a hero? We're going to discover today what a real heroes look like and why we need heroes. We need people like Alwyn Cash to follow, but we're going to look at a different kind of hero. Not uh, heroes on the battlefield, in, but we're going to look at heroes on the spiritual battlefield of life. Heroes when it comes to following Jesus and why we need to have heroes who have followed Christ well in, a younger, in an older generation so we can follow them, know their stories, and, and essentially learn from 
how they lived. I'd like to ask you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 10 through 13. While you're turning uh, there, let me just tell you a little bit about where we're at. As you know, we're working our way through the book of 2 Timothy. And uh, we have just gone through the first nine verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul was talking about what we call the spiritual scammers, people who are living with fake faith, who are really worshiping themselves. They appear religious, but they're trying to deceive people into following them and worshiping them. And Paul has said to Timothy, avoid those kind of people. And then as we get to verses 10 through 17, what happens is Paul says to Timothy, you know, what you need to be is you need to be a strong and courageous man of God. And then he gives us what are three different pictures of what strong and courageous men and women of God look like. In verses 10 through 13 that we'll be studying this morning, he'll say that strong and courageous men of God in their generation, they're following and learning from the heroes of Christ in an older generation that have gone before. Then we'll see in verses 14 through 15 how strong and courageous men and women of God live by great convictions. And then we'll see in verses 17 through, or 16 through 17 how strong and courageous men and women of God um, have great, solid confidence in the Scripture, the Bible as the Word of God. We're going to cover those three different topics in the three upcoming weeks. Uh, this week, we're just going to look at verses 10 through 13, where the theme is that strong and courageous men and women of God follow the spiritual heroes of an earlier generation and learn from the lessons in their lives. So I, hopefully by now you have 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. Stand out of reverence for God's word. Follow along as I read these three verses. Paul writes, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors are being are going from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That ends the reading of God's Word. You can be seated. We're going to go ahead and, and start right on verse 10 here. And we see this major theme that comes right out at the beginning. We need to learn from Christian role models in prior generations, is what Paul begins by saying. He says it here, You, however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. You're not trying to imitate those spiritual scammers, those people who are actually trying to worship themselves. You made somebody else the hero of your life, somebody else who is worth following. You're choosing to follow, imitate, literally trace your life upon my life. That's the right thing to do, Paul says. Follow Christ, or follow me as I'm following Christ. Now, this is important for us to know. Folks, all of us are imitators. All of us are copiers. All of us 
sort of follow the people that are around us. We dress like the people that are around us. We act like the people that are around us. And we have to find and follow what are godly mentors, godly men and women that are worth imitating. Parents, you know how this works with your kids. Young people like to follow the people that are around them. They like to imitate the friends that are around them. And young people, you have to be very careful who you have as your friends because you will start to become just like them. One person had a great saying that they said to me years ago, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future because you will begin to emulate them and become just like them. When our kids were young and my oldest son was pretty young, um, he spoke great English, really good enunciation. And then he started going down the road and playing with a, a new friend. Now, this friend had a lisp. Everything he had a lisp on it. And you know what our son began to do? Come home, and everything he started to talk with was a lisp. Because subconsciously, he began eating, or not eating, excuse me, began imitating his friends. And you can see what my wife would have been like. You're not going over his house to play anymore because you're picking up a lisp every time you go there because we imitate the people that are around us. By the way, this is not just something that's true with the physical friends we have in front of us, but now in our internet world, this is something we have to be very careful about when it comes to the virtual friends that we choose to connect with on the internet. Many times you'll find people that start doing things and acting in certain ways. You're like, where did you learn that? Well, I follow these people on Snapchat or I follow these people on social media, and this is what is cool, because you begin to imitate and follow. Timothy was very intentional about who he imitated, who he followed, which is very wise on his part. Instead of following the people around him in the city of Ephesus, who were spiritual fakes and spiritual frauds, he intentionally chose to copy and pattern his life after the Apostle Paul. In fact, he did such a good job of cloning Paul that when Paul was talking to the Corinthians and he was frustrated with them because they're following the wrong examples around them, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send Timothy to you. Just follow him because he's a carbon copy. He's a clone of me. I'll show you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says to the Corinthians, This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Timothy had so closely mentored with and followed Paul, he was a picture of him. So the point is that we have to find great Christians it's important for us to read Christian biographies, learn about godly men and women who followed Christ in an earlier generation, learn what is admirable from their life that is worth imitating, that is worth following, and then seek to pattern them and imitate them, just like Timothy did for Paul. I'll give you an example of somebody that I've done that with. Maybe you've heard of Eric Little, or sometimes it's pronounced Eric Liddell. Famous from the movie Chariots of Fire. 
when I was young and I saw that movie and I was really impressed by that movie. Here was a guy who was an amazing runner. He was going to the Olympics. He's going across on the Olympic boat, so to speak, at least according to the movie. And he discovers that his heat is going to be run on a Sunday. And Jesus Christ and honoring Christ is so important to him. He says, I will not run in that race because that is the Lord's day. It is not my day. And through a variety of situations, what ended up happening is they put him in a different race, a race he had never run for, never trained for. And he won the Olympic gold, the first time he ever ran in it. What an amazing blessing. And I thought, here is a guy that I want to mentor with. I want to learn from. He was willing to put Jesus in front of his sports, and he was really good. But there's something else I learned from him with his life. He didn't just want to honor Christ in the times of success, but he also was worth imitating when it comes, came to honoring Christ in the hard times and the difficult times. Because immediately after winning this Olympic gold medal, he didn't bask in the limelight, but he went forward and did what he always wanted to do, which was to become a missionary for Jesus Christ in China. When he was in China, ended up happening, that was the time when the Japanese invaded China. He ended up in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. There, he taught children, the Bible. He did sports with them. He kept trying to invest in other people until it seemed like he became very sick and he died of a brain tumor while in a prison camp. And I thought, you know, he's not just an example to follow in the successful times of life, but he's an example to follow in the hard times of life. Faithful to Jesus Christ all the way to the end. From Olympic gold to being a prisoner in a prisoner of war camp, still following Jesus, putting him first. So I said to myself, and maybe you'll say the same thing, that's somebody I want to learn from. That's somebody I want to imitate. That's someone I want to follow. In times of success, put Jesus first. In hard times, put Jesus first. Now, Paul, he, well, I should mention this. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, just be yourself. Don't try and be like anybody else. You can only be yourself. Don't try and copy anyone. Don't try and imitate anyone. And there's a hint of truth to that, but there's also another side to that. We should learn from other people. We should copy and imitate what is admirable, what is good in other people. Don't avoid learning. In fact, the Apostle Paul repeatedly would tell the churches that he was writing to, Imitate me as I'm following Christ. Let me show you what it means to live as a Christian today. For example, 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So it's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a Christian heroes. People who have run well for Christ in an earlier generation that you can learn from, that you want to follow, that you want to be like because you're encouraged to be like them. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. Now what Paul does at this point is he jumps into a list of areas, areas where of his life that Timothy has intentionally tried to imitate intentionally tried to follow and learn from. And these are areas that it's all good for us to have spiritual heroes as well. 
that we should learn from and follow. So what are the areas of life where I should learn from Christian heroes? He begins with this. You, however, have followed my teaching and my conduct. At this point, Paul breaks into a list. And if you've been around the Apostle Paul, you know he loves lists. There's a lot of them in the Scriptures. But to make this list a little bit more digestible, we're going to break it up into three groups. Because the first two items he talks about that Timothy has intentionally tried to copy and imitate and learn from in Paul's life have to do with Paul's pastoring. So, learn from the way heroes of the faith pastored is one thing we can do. For instance, he says, my teaching. Teaching means simply what it means. It means when somebody teaches you something, you want to learn that. And Timothy did not try to be original with his teaching. He tried to make his teaching and what he taught as a pastor to be as closely in sync with the Apostle Paul as possible. Didn't want to be creative. Didn't want to be new. His idea was, I want to be faithful. Faithful to what God said through Paul. That's the key here. I want to be a faithful person, not a creative person. In fact, we, if you go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, which we've already preached on, it says this. Paul says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, you learned the gospel from me. Now you must entrust the very same gospel to others. Don't dilute it. Don't change it. Focus on being faithful to it. So, we have Timothy copied Paul's teaching. The other thing we see that Timothy copied was Paul's conduct. Conduct means lifestyle. Pastoring, folks, isn't just what you teach. Just as important as what you teach is how you live. There's a far... A lot more that is caught by how you live than is taught by what you speak as a pastor. People remember how you live much more than what you say. It's very true. And especially if your teaching and your living are out of sync, guess which of the two they remember most? Your living. Because they will remember those things. And here what we've seen is that Timothy has intentionally not just tried to make sure he understands and copies Paul's teaching, but he wants to understand and copy Paul's living, his conduct as a pastor. Because those two go together. To give you an example of how important conduct is, I'll tell you a little story about Haddon Robinson. And if you've been around a while, you've, I've told you this story before, so grant me some grace and let me recycle a little bit because it's a good story. Uh, but Haddon Robinson is, was my doctoral professor. He is considered one of the top five English-speaking pastors in the world. Amazing communicator. Just humbled to be in his class. Sat through hours upon hours of his teaching. But what I remember most from him was not a thing he said. It is the way he lived. And here's the example that, made a, that marked my life most significantly. When I um, had finished my ordination, one of the last bits of instruction was to have someone come and, you, and preach an ordination 
sermon for you, and then you have an ordination service in the church that you're a part of. And I thought, well, who am I going to come and preach an ordination sermon for me? I live in the middle of no place in Michigan. I mean, we had to go for two hours to get to like a, a decent-sized community that had a mall. So what am I supposed to do with that? I said, well, I'll shoot for the moon. I emailed Dr. Robinson. Would you maybe consider come and preach my ordination sermon? Surprisingly, he writes back and says, yes. He said, I will be in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I have a year's worth of recording to do for my um, radio program because he had a, a nationally syndicated radio program. He recorded it all in basically two weeks, all the recordings for one year. After I'm done with that, before I go back to being the president of the seminary and also speaking everywhere, I can make my way up and, and preach at your ordination. And that just really struck me. That here is a guy who is one of the most famous people in the Christian world who is willing to take time for a small, tiny guy who lives in the middle of no place, Michigan, to come up and preach an ordination sermon. And I said, you know... I want to be like him. I want to follow in his shoe steps. Or footsteps, excuse me. I shouldn't say shoe steps. But, you know, he's older than me. He's now passed away. He's gone. But I can learn from his example. This is the importance of having spiritual heroes that mark your life, that shape your life, and change the way you do things. And he just changed the way I try to pastor and try to teach. Now, the other thing we learn here is he says this, learn from the way heroes of our faith lived. comes from this section. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, and then he moves on and says, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, and my love. These are all items describing the way Paul chose to live his life, that Timothy was trying to copy in his life. Now, what does it mean when he says you've chosen to pattern your aim in life after my aim in life. Some translations will say my purpose in life. What got Paul out of bed in the morning? What motivated Paul? What energized Paul? What gave him his driving passion in life? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's right in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. For I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid up. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That's what motivated Paul. I must reach people with Jesus Christ because at the end of the day, that's all that's going to matter. Who can I tell about Jesus? Jesus is the only one who's going to be able to save their life and change their life. Timothy saw that in Paul and said, you know, that's the way I want to be. What motivates me is not more money. What motivates me is not more power, not more influence. I want to be like Paul. What motivates me is who can I tell about Jesus? That's what I want to imitate. That's what I want to follow. Another thing that Timothy intentionally copied was, he said, Paul's faith. And incidentally, this could refer to his faith in generality, like his faith in Christ, most scholars believe it has to do with his faithfulness to Christ. Because one of the things we know is that when many people were defecting from Christ, what was Paul? Rock solid. No matter how much pressure he got, no matter how many people tried to distract him and turn him away from saved by Jesus and Jesus alone, 
Paul held the line to faithfulness to Jesus Christ in his generation. And Timothy said, I want to be that guy in my generation. The guy who holds the line to we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and we're not going to change the song. He said, I want to copy that. I want to imitate that about Paul's life in my life. The other thing he says here is he copied Paul's patience. And incidentally, the Greek word here specifically means patience with difficult people. Anybody have difficult people in their life? No, no. Yeah, I, the idea is that Paul was very patient with people that were difficult around him and hostile to him. We may not necessarily know that on all the details of that, but that's what the Scriptures tell us. Timothy noticed how patient Paul was with difficult people, people who never seemed to learn, people who are hard to work with. And Timothy said, I want to copy that. I want to be just like Paul. I want to be patient with hard to work with people. The other thing he said is this. You've copied my love. Paul, incidentally, was a very loving person. We often think of him as like Mr. Theological and Mr. Doctrinal. You read the book of Romans, he's got all this doctrine, but then you come to the back end of the book of Romans, and you notice he sends all these greetings to all these people that he knows, all these people that he loves, all these people that he cares about. So you have a very passionate person in the truth about Jesus Christ, but you also have a person in Paul who deeply loves people, genuinely loves people, not surface love of people. And Timothy could see that. Timothy noticed that. And Timothy said, I want to be just like that. Genuinely love people. And I have a hero like that who marked me that way. It motivates me even today to genuinely love people. And if you've been through any premarital counseling with me, I've made people read this book, but it's the autobiography of Robert McQuilkin. The stories you know from his life, if you've been around, um, he was a seminary president, and his wife came down with early-onset Alzheimer's. And she was essentially losing her mind. The only time and place she was at all content was when she was around him. But you can't be a seminary president and caring for your ailing wife at the same time. So he made a choice to resign from being a seminary president and to take care of her, even though she was losing her mind, all the way to her death. And as he said, you know, I promised her I would love her for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And it's a privilege for me to keep my word. I read that, and when I read that book, tears were just coming down my eyes. Not oftentimes you read a, a book that your tears are running down your eyes. But I said, that guy shows you what love looks like in real life. I want to be that man. Faithful all the way to the end. Isn't it good you have heroes that can influence you from an earlier generation? Stories about their following Christ and you see what it looked like for them and we can learn from them, follow them, and imitate them. That's what Timothy was doing with Paul. 
that's what we're to do as well. With Jesus, with Paul, but with other heroes of the faith as we get to meet them and know them either through biographies or in person. Now, we move from the fact that Timothy intentionally learned from the way Paul pastored and copied that, and from Timothy intentionally learned from the way Paul lived and copied that, but here it gets a little harder. Learn from the way heroes of the faith suffered. Paul continues, you've learned about my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Now, earlier, one of the words was very specific. It had to do with Paul being patient with difficult people. But here, the word steadfastness particularly refers to patience in difficult circumstances. When life gets difficult, when life falls apart, and Paul had a lot of that, shipwrecked, adrift on the sea, thorn in the flesh, people chasing him, people trying to get rid of it. He had a lot of difficult circumstances that he faced in life. And Timothy, as you know, traveled with Paul through many of those difficult circumstances. And you, Timothy's like looking at Paul like, how do you handle yourself that way? How do you stay so calm? Why are you not a pouting person? Why are you not a whining, grumbling, complaining person? Why are you so confident in Jesus? Timothy says, I want to be like you. I don't want to be like everybody else who's pouting, whining, complaining, and griping. I want to follow in Paul's footsteps and in Paul's ways when circumstances fall apart around me. Then he also moves on to persecutions. This is beyond difficult circumstances. Because sometimes what happens is circumstances aren't just difficult, but people actually go out of their way to ruin your life or destroy your life. Anybody ever had that happen? It's not just life gets difficult, but people try to hurt you. That happened to Paul. Acts chapter 20, we had people trying to take his life. In fact, if you look at the book of Acts, there is multiple attempts on Paul's life where they're trying to persecute him and get rid of him and destroy him. People even promising not to eat until they had a chance to kill him. That's serious. But Timothy saw how Paul handled those persecutions and went through those persecutions and said, I want to be like Paul in the middle of them. In fact, we read about them in Acts chapter 17. Here's one of them. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too. And what did they do? Agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off to his way, off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Oh no, Paul, they're here to get you. They stuff him in the back of a trunk, so to speak, and drive him out of town before you get in trouble. Now, you can see there's almost a, a sort of an escalation going on here. You know, you learned how to handle difficult circumstances by following me. You've learned how to handle persecutions by following me. That's worse than difficult circumstances. And then it moves on to this thing called sufferings. Because sometimes the people that are actually trying to persecute you manage to get a hold of you and put you through physical pain. That's what we have here. In fact, Paul will give a little catalog of his sufferings. Let me read that to you. 
Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. I think he's got a lot of sufferings. And Timothy learned from Paul how to handle those and how to now he wants to imitate Paul in those. By the way, uh, then you notice Paul sort of breaks into a small catalog of some of these cities. Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. Why does he list these cities in particular? Here's the deal. They're all in the area of Galatia, which is the region where Timothy grew up. Specifically, Lystra was Timothy's hometown. So he was familiar with these things. Let me read to you a few things that happened in the cities. We'll begin by Antioch, with Antioch, and you'll see how each one of them gets increasingly worse. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Perfect! Come to the synagogue, say whatever you want. Paul goes in, teaches them all about Jesus. Many people come to Christ. They're inviting him, Paul, to come back next week. I mean, he's hitting this one out of the park. Gets to come back next week, and by then, all of a sudden, things start to change. And this is what it says. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. Week two went well, or week one went well. Week two went pretty poorly. Now it gets worse. So they decide to go to the next city, Iconium. Things go very well the first week, and then it ends up with this. When an attempt was made by both Jews, or Gentiles and Jews, with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, First, Paul was driven out of Antioch. Now they're going to mistreat Paul and stone him. They didn't get away with it. Almost did. Does any of this discourage Paul? Does any of this turn him off towards sharing the gospel? Off to the next city we go, to Lystra. And here's what happens. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began to walk. This is getting really good. No, we just don't have people coming to Christ. We have people being healed in the name of Christ. A cripple can now walk. But persecution gets worse. Here's what happens as we go a little further. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, 
supposing that he was dead. First they drove him out of Antioch. They attempted to stone him in Iconium. Now they actually do stone him, think he is killed and dead. They throw him on the trash heap and walk away. And what happens is Paul, after a period of time, opens his eyes, seems to almost miraculously gets up, and off he goes to the next city to keep sharing the good news about the gospel. And Paul says to Timothy, you have learned from me how to handle sufferings, how to handle persecutions, how to be steadfast in difficult circumstances. Imitate me. By the way, expect that you're also going to face times of sufferings and persecutions. Now, as we go a little further, Paul says this, remember that God rescues the righteous. Because Paul says, by the way, yet from all of these persecutions and sufferings, um, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Now, at first we go, really? I thought you were stoned. I thought you were driven out of town. The Lord didn't rescue you. Oh, yes, he did. They didn't kill Paul, did they? They tried to kill Paul. God rescued Paul from dying. Rescuing Christians from adversity and persecution and suffering does not mean that we won't go through hard times. It means that no one's going to be able to take us off the face of the planet until God the Father says we are done and it's time to call us home. He will rescue us and protect us and carry us through. So, this is important for us. We're going to be persecuted as Christians. We're going to have people that are angry at us and don't like us because we are Christians. God will rescue us. He will carry us through those times. That doesn't mean that we won't go through hard times, we won't be persecuted, we won't suffer, but nobody can take you off the planet until God says it's your time to go home. Then we have the last point. Remember that all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted, Timothy, and it applies to us. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Every Christian will go through times of suffering because they're trying to be faithful to Jesus. That was true for Paul. That was true for Timothy. And that'll be true for you and me as well. The more we live a godly life for Christ, the more likely it is we will face suffering and persecution for Christ. In fact, this comes directly from Jesus. Jesus said in John 15 verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's a promise. The more you are like Jesus, the more you'll be persecuted like Jesus. But there's a good promise that goes with this. Matthew 5. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of, false, all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we are suffering because we're faithful to Christ, 
the good news is Jesus promises we will be rewarded in heaven for our faithfulness to him. So, let's go backwards and look at the points Paul is teaching us. Number one, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. You, me, Timothy, and Paul. Number two, the good news is even though we're persecuted, God promises to rescue the righteous. Rescuing the righteous means when we are persecuted, it doesn't mean the problems will go away. It doesn't mean the pain will go away. Paul was whipped. Paul was flogged. Paul went through all kinds of suffering. But nobody can take you off the planet until God decides to take you home. But how do you handle those times of faithless? How do you handle those times of suffering in a way that we're good and faithful to the end? Find a Christian hero from a previous generation who suffered well. Learn from them. Follow them and imitate them so you too can be steadfast, faithful, all the way to the end. Let's pray. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.